0: This is Contact Mike. Hello. Hello.
1: Hello. Well, well, nice
2: well. to see you. Nice to see you, do. It's February. It's February. It's a podcast about the things that make us human. Moments of change, indecision, and, well, wow. contact. contact.
1: Contact Mike is a monthly podcast by Sarah Walker.
0: Is it doing a thing where the little arrow and the light is pointing towards you?
1: And your Kilpatrick.
2: I am wearing everything I own at every moment. It's produced by Kieran Ruffles.
1: With love, from a microphone in Melbourne.
0: And it's going to start... It's going to start...
1: Now. Now. Chapter One.
2: This month, a cat named Kankush was placed in a carrier. This was the last leg in his long journey... He had travelled from Iraq with a woman and her five children. They feared for their lives, but they would not leave their cat behind. They arrived in Lesbos in November 2015, along with 100,000 other refugees. And in the chaos, Kankush was lost. He was found in a nearby village days later, but his family had already been moved on. A volunteer took him to Berlin and a campaign began to find his family. This month, Kankush, the cat who had travelled from Iraq through Syria, Turkey, and Greece, then through the air over Bulgaria, Serbia, and Austria to Germany, travelled to Norway, where he was reunited with his family. He was placed into the arms of the woman and her children, and that woman, who had held back her tears so many times when she wanted to shed them, now wept. <laughs> This month, in your world, a girl ate lettuce for all 29 breakfasts. This month, a five-day course was held in Myanmar to teach politicians about democracy. For the last 50 years, the country has been under a fierce military dictatorship. Aung San Suu Kyi herself has emerged from 15 years of house arrest to be the first democratically elected leader of the new government. So... They've come together, these new politicians, with pens, computers and butchers' paper to work it out. To ask each other hard questions like, what happens when someone has too much power? Why is separation of power important to a democracy? And what are the essential characteristics of an effective MP? There they sit in business suits and traditional hats, desperately trying to get the grey stuff in their heads to understand a brave new world. This month in your world, a man in his 60s saw a car for the first time. He was helped into it, the engine started, and then he was moving faster than it ever moved before. He laughed and laughed. At first he asked every five minutes, how far have we come, how far is this? Do you know how long this would have taken by foot? But eventually he fell silent. He sat and watched the world pass before him and no one could guess his thoughts. Chapter Chapter two.
1: Two. Fleur is currently in Leighton Buzzard in England.
0: Kieran and I are in Melbourne, Australia. We are 17,000 kilometres apart.
1: So our voices will be intertwining across 17,000 kilometres of land and ocean. You know, no big deal.
2: February 1st, 2016. I am in my tiny little attic room in England, and my microphone is balanced on as many Harry Potter books as I can find to get it to the right level. I touched a narwhal's horn. I didn't actually mean to the first time, but it was in this room that was really tiny and dark in this museum that was really tiny and dark. And I accidentally brushed against it. And then when I realized what it was, this jolt passed through me. And so I just had to reach out again and let my fingers find it for a split second. And when I did, I shuddered like a a full body all over shudder. I thought of the whale just moving through these dark waters, just swimming, having a whaley great time, just completely oblivious to the mythology that we, an entirely separate and unknowable creature, had attached to a part of its body. The horn was mounted on this carved wooden horse head. It's just this weird mash-up animal that has never existed, will never exist. really doesn't matter, but we killed an animal to make it. That's so strange.
0: Dear Fleur, it's Thursday, February the 4th. It's 12.52am. Today there was a rally in the city to protest the fact that the High Court had found it legal for the government to send asylum seekers back to Nauru. I wanted to go. I was texting your sister about it, saying how angry and helpless we were feeling. I wanted to go and stand with people who believed that kindness was important and to yell at people who didn't believe it. But I had a shoot, and I couldn't move it. I spent a lot of today thinking about the fact that one of the children being sent back is a five-year-old boy who was raped there. Five years old. I can't fit that information in my brain. And I don't know if we're doing any good protesting anyway the media in this country doesn't tend to report it the government ignores it the sound systems are never good enough and people yell and yell and nothing seems to change i went to the invasion day protest on january 26 and everyone kept getting out of sync with their chants if i ran protests there would be incredible quality speakers and a conductor to keep time To make everyone's voices one. Last night, an animator held my hand up to the light and slowly spread my fingers out so they sat just so. He took my pinky and moved it fraction by fraction towards my ring finger, stop motion animating it as I watched. Then he held my hand and said, It looks so boring to watch, but it's so satisfying to do. I like that patience. It's something I'm really, really bad at. I always want everything now. Maybe that's why I find protests so frustrating. I just want to see things change.
2: February 7th, 2016. Dear Sarah, I asked my four-year-old niece what was the most important thing in the world today. It's what you are. What I am? (laughs) What you are. What I am. A little girl? She nodded vigorously. What about Felix? A little boy is important? They're very important. I like this because I think it's true. And I like it because I like that my niece knows this. That every day an adult does something to let her know that she and the other children around her are special and safe and important. And I wish that those were facts that every child could know. Here are some other facts that my niece taught me today. What were you telling me about your feet? Did so they pull you down to the ground. Because I thought it was gravity that pulled you down to the ground. But it's real, it's true. When are your feet pulling you down to the ground? When you jump up high, they pull you down Yo. Oh, right. And that's how you land. Oh. What was the other thing you wanted to teach me about? It's that girls what right their bottom in a different way and they scrunch the paper up. And what do boys do?
3: And they don't switch the paper up. They make it into a flat piece.
2: Oh, I love her confidence. I asked her what she was going to be when she grew up and her reply was instantaneous and authoritative. Artist. What kind of an
3: artist? A painting artist. Oh. I knew that all the time.
2: Yeah? Who's your favourite artist? Monet. What do you like about Monet. His pictures! What does he paint pictures of?
1: Of his garden! Man,
2: I've been a playwright for years now. I am well and truly at the point where I am too overqualified in this one field and too supremely underqualified in every other field to ever do anything else. And yet, I think if someone asked me what I was going to be when I grew up, I would probably still hesitate longer than Rosie did. I'd stare out the little rectangular window beside me into the grey English clouds, and after some umming and ahring, I think I'd probably reply, playwright, with aspirations of goat farmer. Lots of love, Flo.
1: Dear Flo, what's the weather like in Leighton Buzzard, I wonder? Weather, Leighton Buzzard... It's three degrees in Leighton Buzzard. But hey, look, it's going to be like seven degrees with some sun on Saturday. True fact. Well, prediction. It's 37 degrees and sunny in Melbourne today. Yeah, it's just mean really, isn't it? (laughs) That's all.
0: Dear Fleur, it's Thursday the 18th of February. People often ask me what a normal day looks like for me, Uh, and there really isn't a normal day in my profession, but today, I suppose, was typical in its ridiculousness. I shot an actress slumped in a shower recess full of ice with a huge latex scar down her stomach, fake blood stippled across her skin, and a giant silicon parasite slumped over her shoulder. I shot a play where ash rained from the sky and a forest bloomed out of a hospital ward. I came back to the actress, who was now making out passionately with the parasite, leaving trails of lubricant across her face. Then I stood naked in an insulated cubicle in North Melbourne, and a voice over my headphones asked me what was beautiful about my body. I drank a glass of whiskey with the boy who stood in the gutter so we'd be the same height, and kissed me so sweetly, as people in a passing car called out, "woo," which felt like a pretty good review. I rode everywhere today, from one chute to the other, rode until my legs ached and my back sagged under the weight of my camera bag. As I was heading home, I waited at the lights at the corner of Wellington Street and Queens Parade, and three other cyclists rolled up beside me. A man rode past, perpendicular to us, shooting up the road so fast, his legs whirring, and our bike lights made a little disco for him to ride through. When he'd passed, we all shared a grin because we knew what that felt like. To ride so fast you almost leave your body behind. And when the lights turned green, we all pushed off a little harder and felt the wind slide over our backs and our legs like pistons on the pedals. Chapter 3, Chapter three. Ten years ago, as a fresh-faced 17-year-old, I met Jason Lahane. He was the technical manager at the student theatre at my university, and I liked him immediately. He had this incredible natural gravity and sense of wisdom that I found really comforting, and we pretty quickly became close friends. And over the next decade, as we got to know and to trust one another, he would occasionally mention these events and experiences from his life that were very much at odds with this calm, grounded person I knew. These stories were weird. These stories they were ghost stories and what I slowly came to realise was that around the time I met him, Jason was going through some pretty big, pretty weird stuff, some stuff that culminated with him standing on a football field at night, certain that a dead woman lay beneath his feet
2: Jason was 14 the first time something happened that he couldn't explain
3: I felt a uh, compunction to get up walk out of the house, walk out into the front yard, look up at the sky. And when I did look up, there was a full moon and a fairly cloudless sky. There were little bits of cloud going past, so it was very light outside.
0: Jason felt a presence.
3: And my concept at the time was that something had ceased to exist and it wasn't happy about it.
0: (laughs) So he started talking to it.
2: He comforted it. He told it everything was all right and that everything ends. He talked until everything felt calm again and then he went back inside. He was sure it was a dream.
3: So I did all these elaborate things in the room that I thought, aha, if I'm you know asleep, I won't have gotten up and screwed up this ball and put it in the corner or mm. we'll put that book on top of that book or we'll folded the corner on that page, on page 100 of some book. And then I went to bed. And then I got up in the morning and all those things were as I had left them and my feet were dirty as well, so that was a bit of a giveaway.
0: From that point on, Jason sensed things that other people just didn't.
3: It's just like the radio's switched on and I'm receiving this frequency and I'm picking up these things and you're all switched off. So they're there, I'm just perceiving them. I'm just a receiver.
2: He heard things. Things that weren't there.
3: Sometimes it's voices, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's something doesn't fit i'm going to put my hands near the microphone like this so i'm going to put them around the microphone and then the sound should sound a bit different it sh- should sound closer because it's bouncing off my hands which are very close to the microphone but not touching them
2: jason also smelt things
3: the smelling is interesting because i hadn't heard of anybody else having supernatural smell sense um, <laughs> i felt like i was a bit jibbed.
2: so what sort of things do you smell What you'll hear now is edited down from about three minutes of hesitations and half-finished sentences.
3: It's quite an intimate smell, which is, I suppose, a kind of body odour, more groinal kind of smell. Mm. I know it sounds a little bit weird, but it's that deeply musky, deep, intimate smell of humans. That's the smell.
2: And we get it. We get what he's saying and we get the three minutes of hesitations. It isn't nice to admit that you've psychically smelt the crutches of dead people.
0: Jason has about 25 years worth of stories. Like the piano he always heard playing in his flat in St Kilda where there was no piano.
3: I knew it wasn't recordings or anything like that because there'd be scales and and then you'd hear somebody play it and they, they would play it very well.
2: He asked a neighbour about it.
3: And then she looked at me in a little kind of far-off look in her eyes and she said, there used to be someone who lived in your flat upstairs and he was a concert pianist. And um, he died up there in that that flat. Um, He actually died at the piano in that flat. So he didn't even die in his bed. If I was to put all that down to just the creation of my mind, because I do not underestimate what the mind can create. Mm. If I was to throw away everything and hang on to one episode that I couldn't really explain, it was probably the night that my grandmother died.
2: That night, he had a dream.
3: The dream was like I'd taken my last breath and my lungs weren't working anymore. I could feel that I wasn't panicking like, <laughs> I can't breathe, I just thought, oh this is it, this is the end. This is My chest will no longer rise and fall, soon my heart will stop beating and I'll be dead. Well, I'm dead now already, you know. And so when I woke up from that it was like with a <gasps> gasp. I turned to my partner at the time and I said, uh, my grandmother's just died. And she said, huh? I said, no, I can tell my grandmother's just died, I've felt it, I've felt her go.
2: Soon after his mother called, you can guess what he said.
3: Nana just died. And she said, yes, how did you know? I said, Nana died about an hour ago. And she had. And I still don't understand that. And it's interesting because when my mum died, I had no idea, you know. And for years later, whenever I would be trying to contact my mum, saying, I just need to speak to you, and my Nana would come instead. And mum would be there in the background, but she really didn't want to come. I didn't understand. And Nana said, no, she just needs just to kind of to heal so she can't come back.
0: Jason's grandmother stayed around him for years.
3: I was having a little bit of an affair. A little bit of an affair. Did you listen to that? That's terrible. I was having an affair. So straight up what it was. And I was married at the time, unhappily.
2: Jason went away with his girlfriend to a beach that he'd been to many times before.
3: At that time, I had wished so much to be out of that relationship.
2: Standing on that familiar beach, he asked the world to help him leave.
3: At that time, I simply wasn't capable of leaving. You know, I just needed this kind of external force.
2: That night, his wife awoke.
3: She said, your grandmother just spoke to me. And she said that I should not be with you anymore.
2: Jason's wife said
0: that his grandmother had seen him at the old beach where they used to go.
3: That's exactly where we used to go because Nanny used to sit on the beach eating seaweed. And we always think it was really weird that she would eat seaweed. And when that came out of my wife at the time's mouth, I couldn't believe it.
0: His wife told him that they should separate because his dead grandmother had told her they needed to.
2: And so they did separate. And Jason went on with his life.
0: He was a massage therapist, a blacksmith, he made theatre and told stories and felt, smelt and heard strange, inexplicable things. There were years, decades of things that he could never quite explain away.
2: But perhaps he didn't want to explain them away. Not until the night on the football field.
0: At the time, Jason was involved in a psychic group.
3: We used to do kind of good deeds. So if people had gone missing, we were trying to find them uh, or to sense whether they were deceased or not. Um, on both accounts, I went, oh, no, they're deceased. I can tell. I feel it.
0: One case in particular caught his interest. Her name was Sarah, Sarah McDermid.
3: and She was about the same age as me. I think she was a bit younger. I was using a map of the area to try to figure out okay where has she gone and there was a time where i believed in it and i drove down to the area and i parked the car i was walking around the foreshore and over the road there was like a football oval there's an oval i looked on the ground and somebody had repaired some of the ground so there's kind of big squares cut in there and put that down and i looked at it and i thought i think she's here And and then I had a strong sense of a car coming up, but it just seemed too ridiculous. It was like, you know, a black panel van or something like that, and I was like, what? And there were a number of people involved, men and women, and it was like somebody had worked at that club and they were doing some building and they thought to put her body in the ground. I don't know, it was weird. And I was standing on the soil on the oval, looking around going, well, here we are. Either I've lost my nut, I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm totally deluded, or a dead body under my feet. Now, most likely, I'm totally deluded. I have to be. But to be standing on the spot and to be questioning your sanity, and that's when I was like, I've got to stop doing this. I mean, I've, I've got too much spare time. And I think that was pretty much where it started to come apart for me. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is It just seemed so deluded. And I was looking at all the people in the meditation group. I thought, everyone's deluded. Mm. The emperor has no clothes.
0: Did they ever find her? No. I so desperately wanted to write to the police and be like, (laughs) guys, you just need to dig here.
3: Dig here. Yeah, and I thought, God, if they do find it, How am I going to explain that? It's going to sound a bit sus. It's like, oh, you know exactly where the body's buried and you had nothing to do with it? Yeah, right. (laughs) I was in psychic class. That's how I found out about it. (laughs) Uh, foolproof
0: alibi. Absolutely. okay. So Jason leaves the football field and he goes home and he doesn't go back there. And he doesn't go back to the psychic group either. And he doesn't pour over maps or ask the dead to speak to him. He just sort of puts his psychic fingers into his psychic ears. He stops listening or tries. So in the years since you decided to step away from kind of letting this into your life, how often do you walk into a a space and go, there's something here? And do you just, is it just like putting up a wall and being like, I can feel it on the other side of the wall, but I'm not letting it in?
3: Yep. That's pretty much what happens now. It's, It's still like being a radio. You can never totally turn yourself off, but you can turn the volume down life is much better and it's ultimately that i'm not scared anymore i don't know why it scared me but i think a belief creates a power in your mind and that power it can put a a fear in you everything seems to have a consequence and it so taps into one's overdeveloped sense of responsibility and you know maybe it's those kind of individuals that are attracted to this world mm. those that have suffered from trauma who need some kind of way of saying yeah keep that world at bay live in this world so i received that when i was younger i had been molested and that was about seven eight and it was interesting that this start of my um coming into puberty that started to release these experiences in me or attributing things to another force outside of what I knew. I wrote down a list of everything that happened to me at one stage for my mum and I showed them to her and she read them and she looked at me and she said, do you want to see a psychologist? And I said, I don't think so because I think it's hard for a 16 year old to answer that question. Mm. And then she went, I'll take you to somebody. And she took me to a clairvoyant. <laughs> uh, um, and she did say the magic words, oh, you're very sensitive. Mm. Thank God I must say that to everybody. Mm. <laughs> um, but you're picking up a lot of things. And that, at 16-year-old, in some way confirmed all my you know, beliefs that I was um, inclined towards you know, receiving messages from the supernatural world.
2: Even
0: the most logical, grounded, scientifically minded people I know yes. have, yeah, just had that experience of having something happen and gone. If I think about this too much, it's going to just mess with my world perspective. So I'm just going to put that in the little box labelled "misconfusing." Misconfusing. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'd like to think that everybody has their little box. Mm. Hopefully, not too big a box. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be have a fun life like me. There are things that are beyond understanding. I truly believe that. I think there's a lot of people out there that experience this. If you're out there and you're 14 and you've walked outside and you've talked to the full moon and the the wind and you've experienced things and you're, you're trying to figure out what it is, I would say, in all honesty, that it's not knowable. It's obvious. And yet i searched so high and low and looked for people who would know nobody knows we just make stuff up i would say that there are still many miraculous things that exist in the normal world if you have the eyes to see them and the ears to hear them um and the nose to smell them
0: you know, I've never, I've never had an experience like this and I feel kind of really left out. I've never had anything happen. Like once when I was a kid, I saw, like I hallucinated a skull next to my bed, but it was because I was very unwell. Sarah and I, we spent
2: this night in the Arredale Mental Asylum. All I felt was that it was an immensely sad place to be. So mm. I guess you could say that I have felt the emotions of a space, mm. but that didn't seem to me other do you remember these these halls where one room would be this pale pink, then the next would be pale blue, then the next pale yellow, then pink, blue, yellow, pink, blue, yellow, pink, mm. blue, yellow? It just it was enough to make anyone mad.
0: It's um, amazing how colours, which should be really comforting in that context, are just horrifying because you know how people were treated there and just the 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 awful awful things that happened in those rooms, and knowing that they happened surrounded by sweet baby pastels is really really awful. I was talking to a friend about this, uh, about the idea that, that places have a sense of history and um, he said, he'd been asked by a friend recently, "What what is something that you believe but cannot explain? And his answer was that places have uh, a character. But he said something quite interesting, which was that humans are very good at picking up on uh chemicals and smells and things released by other humans without really knowing what's going on. And he said, I think maybe places where there's been a lot of fear, maybe something chemically gets into the paint in that space and we are able to pick that up without realising. And I thought that was a really interesting way of kind of rationalising it.
2: Yeah, I think I'm a great believer in architecture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I remember being in a church in China when I was 16 and having this immense sensation of awe and having a moment of going, is this what God feels like? And then going, no, this is what architecture feels like. I am feeling a combination of awe at the height of ceilings and at the endeavour of people. Mm. I was talking about
0: this interview with a friend of mine um, and as I was talking about some of the ghost stories, the look in his face was incredible. It was just so disparaging and so like, this is bullshit. And then I mentioned the fact that Jason knew when his grandma had died and he sort of paused and went, oh, this thing happened to me when I was 10 where my parents sat my brother and I down and they said, we have something to tell you. And my friend said, oh, I know, I'm going to have a sister. You guys are, you know, you're going to have a baby girl, and his parents were like, "Okay, well, we hadn't told you that, and also we don't know the sex of the baby, and it was a girl, and uh, and somehow he just kind of knew.
1: Maybe he smelted. Maybe, but yeah. exactly.
0: So yeah, maybe the the key to all supernatural phenomena is just the human sense of the smell that we know so little about. I think there's so many things that we don't know about how we process information from the world.
1: Yeah, you're totally taking microscopic. Parts of matter in gaseous form into your body, and analysing it at a parts per million scale. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty incredible stuff.
0: Yeah. Do you have any supernatural experiences, Kieran? You strike me as the sort of person who might have a few sneaky ghost stories.
1: I feel like I relate to the place that he came to by the end of um, of what he was talking about. I will sometimes hear things that I know aren't there, or voices that I know aren't there. What? sort of things look it could be someone saying my name or like uh shouting i I sort of have a moment of choice where i can engage with it or or get anxious about it Mm. it feels very obvious to me that that will just make everything worse
0: we talked about this the other day and you used a really great phrase which was consensus reality we were talking about the fact that there's no system of understanding the world can account for all the phenomena that we experience as humans and at some point to function as a society we just have to create this reality that we agree on and everything that doesn't fit into it we just kind of have to ignore.
1: There are pockets there are, there are corners of our lived experience that don't yield to analysis and they, that's okay and we can let them be. And we might make more trouble than we want by attacking them or latching onto them or focusing on them too much.
2: And in the meantime, there are high vaulted ceilings to fill us with awe. Shall we wrap up? Yeah, good.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Contact Mike is a monthly podcast about people by Flay Kilpatrick and Sarah Walker, produced by Kieran Ruffles.
2: You can find us at contactmicpodcast.com. We would love it if you followed us on social media and reviewed us on iTunes. This has been Contact Mike. This episode, this episode ends, ends
0: now. now. We did it! Yeah! Woo! Thank
1: you. Bye. Bye, love. Bye. Bloop, bloop. Okay, I'm going to hit stop.